We are honored to have Harley Gordon with us today. Harley is the president of Insurance Education Advisors in the greater Boston area. And for those who aren't as familiar with the long-term care insurance industry, Harley created our industry's premier certification, the CLTC designation. He's also a founding member of NALA, the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. Harley's been named one of the 100 most influential people in long-term care by McKnight's and one of the 10 most influential people in long-term care by Senior Market Advisor. This episode is being brought to you by LTC Solutions, a long-term care specialty BGA with decades of experience helping some of the industry's elite producers serve their clients well. To learn more, go to ltcsolutions.net. I have learned so much from Harley in my 20 years of specializing in long-term care insurance. He's a pillar in our industry. So I'd like to thank Harley for being with us today. And Harley, for someone who has been so influential in our industry, someone who really has seen it all, it'd be great if we could start from the beginning. Now, first I'd like to say I was rereading your book, The Conversation, and I came across the dedication. So I'd like you to share with the audience how you saw the need for extended care planning way back then when so many other legal and financial experts hadn't yet caught on. Well, it was multifaceted. First, uh, as I mentioned in the book, uh, my father uh, had a uh, experience, and I want to expand on that because it, it happens to a lot of people. My my father was a World War II veteran. He always took care of himself. Handsome guy. I have a picture of him in a bomber jacket. He fought in uh, CBI, China, Burma, India uh, theater, and he went down to Florida uh, for the winter. He lived in Massachusetts, as as I do. And, and one day he came back uh, from his trip and I came into my house in Milton. I didn't see my father, I saw an old man. And mm. I saw him leaning on a cane uh, and it physically uh, shook me. Uh, and I hadn't seen him in six months and I, I saw what had happened to him. And I, I, it, for some reason it, 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 it came to me that one day I'm gonna to have to take care of him. And sure enough, about six or eight months later, he had a severe stroke and never really recovered from it uh, to this transition that at some point, either I or my sister or my brother would have to take care of him. Uh, my mother was doing it, uh, but it, was, uh, it, it shook me. Uh, the second uh, experience was, uh, and it's in the book, that I had a radio show in Boston as a legal calling program, and, and people called in about all sorts of things. But uh, more than occasionally, the question about... Uh, came up about, well, my mother's going to a nursing home, and I heard that Medicare won't pay, or, or um, what, what, what about Medicaid? And now, I'm practicing maybe six, seven years, and I, I, I don't know the difference between Medicare and Metadent, okay, or Metamuso, I don't know the difference. <laughs> so I started to study it, and I found out that these people were correct, that when it came to custodial care, which I think people in the industry understand is assistance with activities of daily living or supervision because of a cognitive impairment. The only source to pay for that long-term is cash or long-term care insurance. A lot of people think Medicare would pay. Medicare is an entitlement program. You pay into it, you're entitled to it, as you know. And Medicaid, that's Medicare. Medicaid is a needs-based program. You have to have limited needs, uh, limited income and assets. And that's where I started to develop my practice as a lawyer. I think you mentioned uh, that I am an attorney. And I met some people just, uh, just through good luck who were starting an organization that became known, of, known as the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. 
And I very quickly got into a field called um, Medicaid planning, which is really not planning, uh, John, because the people who came to see me already had a medical event that resulted in a need for custodial care. And we developed ways to protect assets, the qualified people who frankly don't deserve to be on the program because they had a lot of money and how to ship these assets and, and, and to protect them. That's what Medicaid planning is, taking assets that would have to be spent on care and moving them, either putting them in trust or, or transferring them. And that's where, I, that's where I became my specialty within the legal field. Uh, but I, I, that field had a very short half-life because it was abused. There were lawyers getting people on Medicaid with a million and a half, two million dollars. And I knew as a business person, not just as a lawyer, it was just a matter of time uh, until the federal and state government stepped in, and sure enough, they did. Uh, so I transitioned over a period of years to the long-term care insurance industry, and I was appalled at the lack of professionalism. So that's kind of a, that's kind of a, uh, a thumbnail sketch of how I went from being a lawyer to still being a lawyer, but being involved in the whole subject of extended care and long-term care insurance. When you started uh, CLTC, what were you fighting for? Uh, keep in mind that I'm not licensed to sell an insurance product. I came to the, uh, to the business uh, as, as, a, uh, as a planner because lawyers put together plans as financial advisors, do a high net worth uh, brokers and, and agents. And when I got in the business, I was appalled at the lack of professionalism. I'm not sure if you know the history of this, but this was a, a lead-driven sale. And for those of you in the audience who aren't familiar with a lead, it's, it's what it is. You buy a lead uh, and respectfully you throw leads against the wall and see what sticks. And if you've ever dealt with leads, you know the people who respond to leads are people who need the product. And son of a gun, it was a product that was marketed to a fixed income retirees with one foot in the nursing home, the other on the banana peel. 90% uh, of the sales were the prior experience. Uh, or, or they needed the product, and the carriers were, I don't want to use the word lax, but it was, uh, the underwriting wasn't that, that hard. So people who would be claiming <laughs> were getting issued the policies. When I, and, I, and it was a one-call sale. Are you familiar with that? Uh, it was a kitchen table sale. Yes. Uh, by people who could work that business. They weren't selling advice. They were selling a product. And I just thought way back, that is just the wrong uh, that's just the wrong business model and the wrong demographic. So uh, as I got involved in the industry through some people who liked my ideas, uh, I was absolutely convinced that if the industry was going to survive, they'd have to tighten up underwriting and they had to go after the real demographic, which were the people who had resources, had lifestyle, had expenses that were not discretionary. And that was the uh, etymology, if you will, the history of CLTC. It didn't teach people how to sell a product. It taught people how to engage in a conversation about a subject that has serious, if not irreversible consequences, not to the person, not to the client, because we know he's not going to need care or she, uh, but to those people that he or she invited into their lives. And here's the key part. They invited into their lives and they said they take responsibility for it. And I believe from the beginning that risk-based selling, that's how the product was sold. If you just lay on the statistics, risk-based selling is essentially worthless. And I was right. Lead-based selling got you sick people and people who had a prior experience. It never worked with healthy men and women.
And that was really the intent to expand the pie by going after people, here's the key, who don't want to talk to you. Why is that a great market? Because they're healthy. If they want to talk to you, obviously, it's going to be an underwriting problem. So that was the, the, uh, the brief history of how I got involved with, with the designation. I want to raise the level of professionalism. So the course gave them some insight into how to change the intent of the conversation, for one, based on risk, cost of care, backed by statistics, and look what's going to happen to you. And you don't want to be a burden, and you lose everything, risk-based, client-centric, product-driven. Look how the product saves the day to one de dealing only with consequences. And we taught people to have a conversation where you actually say to the client, this is not going to happen to you. Uh, but by the way, that's exactly what the client wants to hear. It's going to happen to them, the people you said you would take care of and provide for. And that was a very successful approach. And, and we got a lot of wonderful feedback from financial advisors and high net worth brokers, which were exactly the people we needed to get exposure to high net worth individuals. So I just, I, I think that I helped change the direction of the industry from fixed income retirees with health issues to higher net worth individuals uh, who have uh, commitments that must be kept and to explain that an unexpected need for care has consequences not to the client, but to those people that he or she cares about. I, I would agree uh, so much. And I've seen that in my own practice and the people that I've worked with uh, primarily in WorkSite. Um, it's those people that don't want to talk to you. It's those people who've never thought well, about this for exactly. those 40 and 50 year olds who it's not going to happen to them. And you talked about that the other day a little bit. Speak about the psychology of the conversation, especially when you're dealing with that. And, and I'm a guy, you know, I'm a husband, you know, I, we sometimes think we know it all and we sometimes think we're invincible, but talk a little bit about the, the psychology of that conversation that financial advisors, CPAs, wealth advisors need to be having with their clients. Yeah. As you develop your practice, and, and I consider selling insurance a practice, which means you're offering advice. Of course, the first question, hey, hey, John, I want life insurance. I, I wouldn't say, come on down. I'd say, may I ask, why? And the minute they hesitate, you know what that is? They've been That's diagnosed with something, yeah. That's a decline. Yeah. So I want to go after people who didn't want to engage in the conversation. See? See, because they're healthy. When someone's asking you for a product, it's adverse selection. So um, uh, I, I absolutely want to go after that field. And that field was unreachable using a traditional approach to selling long-term care insurance. And that was the problem right there. You're selling long-term care insurance. You're selling life insurance. No. The people who have made a very good living selling life insurance understand that you sell a plan to protect the family from an uh, unexpected death during working years. You know, I look at life insurance, and this is really fascinating. I look at it as a physical manifestation of a client's absolute commitment to his or her family. Life insurance is her. Life insurance is him. Interesting, huh? It's exactly what these products are. It allows a person to keep their absolute commitment to a family. I have a daughter who's 40 years old. You know what I found out? Doesn't matter if she's 40 or 60, she's still my daughter. As a male, is my commitment to her absolute? Yes. yes. So anything that affects me, I think you're doing it to sell me a product. But if you bring my family into it and ask me, tell me what would happen 
to your daughter's husband and her children if you ever needed care. I say, what, what do you mean? And in the world of sales, John, if you can get someone to say, what do you mean? You're off to the races. And so we changed the whole, in, the whole intent. So it's not a risk-based conversation. It's strictly consequences. We actually tell the client that it's not going to happen to him. Now, let's get to your question. Which I was stunned when I heard that. Yeah. When, I, when the first time I heard you say that, you tell the client, this is not going to happen to you. I'm not saying it's going to happen to you. Oh, no, no. I'm telling you it's not going to happen to you. Yeah. Now, why would you tell a perfectly healthy guy that he's not going to need care? Because they think it's not going to happen to them. It's not going to happen to me. So watch this. Are you in an argument? You're not in an argument, are you? How were you taught to sell long-term care insurance? Hey, look at you, John. You don't look that good right now. See, you know, you age and you get older. And you know what happens, right? You, you shake your head. Yeah, look at me when I talk to you. The thing with the dementia and then with the diapers and you want to be a burden, huh? Do you? Do you, by the way, is one word. Do you? <laughs> what a silly way to sell the product. By the way, it worked perfectly with people who needed the product. Right. Never worked with healthy people. So our approach was to bring a client back, and this is key, to bring a client back to why he or she got in the business of having a family in the first place. And for the most difficult demographic in insurance, tell me if I'm wrong, healthy men with no prior experience of, of, a, of a dear friend dying, of no prior experience of, a, of, of, of taking care of their mother who was so chronically ill, it made the caregiver chronically ill. Now, for that audience of perfectly healthy men, I had to change the intent of the conversation. And so we, we looked into the, what I refer to as the psychology of denial. And I found out doing a lot of research, men basically have the ability to separate the risk of an awful thing happening from the consequences of a thing happening. So example, um, you see window washers? Does he think he's going to drop off that rope and die? Not at all. Not at all. Now, Think about this. In his mind, not yours, he deeply believes he's not going to, it's just a job. So in his mind, are there any consequences? No, because he's not going to fall. So what does he need life insurance for? It doesn't. Why do guys think like that? Because decent men consider themselves indispensable to their families. They can't see not being in the picture. Hmm. Life insurance is them in the picture when you think about it. Yeah. So what I did, and, we, and this is all backed by something called evolutionary psychology, gender differentiation, and I have to tell you something. All the carriers' compliance departments signed off on it. Hmm. And they all said, this is a fascinating look at this. So now I'm giving producers some insight into why a guy who says, um, I know what will happen if I need care. I know it will be awful. Look, look, don't keep telling me I, I got it. I get it. Trust me, I get it. Do they get the product? No, because that's you who needs care, not me. So what we did is we brought it back to a conversation as to why he got in the business of having a family in the first place. So for a decent man, being married and taking responsibility feeds deeply into their sense of well-being, that as a guy, I'm wired to take care of others. I'm wired to take care of others, to provide and to protect. Not that women aren't, but it's deeply seated in men. If I said to you, can you see yourself not being in the picture of when your kids are growing up? And you say to me, no, actually I can't. 
So you know what you got? Life insurance, which is you in the picture. So we brought men back to the basics. Now, anything that you say that threatens me by saying, I'm 72 years old, and let me tell you statistically what's gonna happen, AARP said because of the MetLife survey, which was Genworth and this and that, kiss my behind, because I know you're doing it for one reason. But if you said to me, I can't imagine, John, if you ever needed care, you want your kids involved, and you'd say it's none of their business, and I said to you, tell me what choice they'd have, I just now dragged your kids in. And that's what we did. That's how we changed the intent of the conversation for the industry. And the next step was not to sell a product, but to talk about a plan that mitigates the two sets of consequences. The two sets of consequences that are emotionally and physically to the caregiver and financially because it requires a reallocation of cash flow and assets. So that's what CLTC was, to raise the level of professionalism. And we had a lot of people selling life insurance and I, I, I love that concept. So you're the financial advisor, okay? I'm the client. So you just told me about the consequences of an extended care event. And you told me it wasn't gonna happen. So let me repeat this and see if you can pick up on it. So John, you've been telling me through this whole conversation that I'm not gonna need care, is that right? Correct. But you told me if I ever needed care, there's a very good possibility my kids would never talk to each other again. Is that what you told me? That is also correct. Did you tell me that paying for care will require a wholesale reallocation of my cash flow? which means I may not be able to keep my financial commitments. Not only your assets, but your income. See what I just did? Now, do you have my attention? Do I still believe that I'm not going to need care? You're not going to need care. Right. So the risk, now this is important, everyone. So the risk essentially remains constant. It's zero. But you got me to measure not the risk of needing care, but the consequences. And I concluded that they're 100%. And that's how we change the intent of the conversation. And what producers who adopt this like, they say to me, I, I, I feel that I'm a professional. I'm offering advice. And the consequences are so severe that the client's compelled to make a decision. One decision could be, not, I so should be, I, it's okay. I took care of the kids, let them take care of me. Well, that's not your client. The other decision is, I don't want that to happen. See how powerful that is? The client sold himself, not on a product, but on a plan. And now we reposition long-term care insurance. It was never positioned as a funding source for a plan. By the way, I learned that from Joe, from Joe Jordan. I don't know if you know Joe, but he was senior vice president at MetLife. He taught me about planning. So we reposition it as a product that funds a plan I let you put together because it mitigates the consequences to my family if I need care. How powerful is that? And a lot of people liked it. By the way, when I first came up with the idea, they said, what does he know? He never sold a policy. He's a Medicaid planning attorney. He doesn't know my business. Uh, and respectfully, they didn't know the business because as hard as these carriers tried to, to develop and expand the business with financial advisors, never really worked because the industry had wholesalers talking to advisors about product. What the industry forgot is that FAs don't sell product, they sell advice. So in my, in working with the Nationwides and Jamworths and, and, and One America and Lincoln, you know what we do? We enhance the credibility of the wholesaler 
to talk about a subject that impacts the FA's business model. See how different, how professional that is? And the carries don't want me talking about product. Good for them. Anyway, that's a long answer to a short question. Well, it's an important answer. And I think it is the most important concept in long-term care over the last 20 years uh, that you're not talking, you're not pushing product or you're not talking about product. And that's why when now I think all long-term care specialists start the interview, it's about gathering information and learning more about them and what, what funding mechanism is going to fund this plan. You know, See, the- I want to find out whether or not this couple is still connected. Being in love after 40 years is a lot different than being in love after 40 minutes. Get it? Being in love after 20 years, you're married for 20 years, mm-hmm. it's a whole lot different than being married after 20 minutes in what I call the snap in the towel stage. Right. Okay? But you know what you find out? That your definition of love matures as you do. Isn't that powerful? So anything that I bring to your attention that affects your wife, say her name is Mara, and your children is something you'll listen to, and it's respectful. That's why I said to you, this is not about you needing care, because I already know that you deeply believe you're not going to need care, so why would I argue with you? But when I said that your child might have to rearrange her life, what do you mean? That's not her business. And I respond, tell me what choice you have. See, that's a very, very powerful argument, argument meaning case. And also the sales concept eliminates the classic objections by not creating them. What if I don't live a long life? I, I never suggested you would, Tom, but you begin to see the consequences tomorrow if you ever did. Or what if I don't need care? I'm not suggesting you will. See, Tom, you're looking at this as a series of risks to you. As your advisor, I'm looking at this as a series of consequences to who? Loved ones. Yeah. And I'm sniffing you. Why is he sniffing you? See if there's a pitch. What's the angle? What's the rub? It's the angle, and there's no angle. You know, you know, we when we do these sales scenarios and in the course, we raise the objection, you're just trying to sell me long-term care insurance. You know what the answer is? The product may, may not be appropriate. It's appropriate, it's just discussion. In other words, you're not going to control this interview because the minute I start talking about product, that's the end of the case. I heard it's expensive, it doesn't pay, this company went bankrupt, what if I don't need it in 20 years, I'll never get my money back. You see what I'm saying to you? It cannot be a discussion about insurance and that's what long-term care insurance was, a discussion about insurance. So anyway, that's, that's the history of, and we've been, look, I got 20, when I sold the company, I had 22,000 graduates. And what the carries liked? Yeah, you know something? They got activity. So this whole concept brings people back to why they got in the business of having a family. Uh, and I'll, I'll just give you one thing quickly, and this will bring tears to your listeners' eyes. My 28-year-old daughter made a very good choice in husband, a West Point grad, just a terrific guy, looks up to her, adores her. And we're having dinner, she's expecting her first child and, and she put a knife and fork down and f- filled up with tears and said, her name's Lily, what happened? And she looks at me, John, and says, I can never thank you enough for my life. That's what this really course is about. You see what I'm saying to you? And every guy I've told that to was filled up with tears. And every guy said to me, if I had a heart attack right now and dropped dead, it's a pretty good run. See, that's really what it's about. Look at you. Here, you know what thing I say to guys? I said, did you marry up? Yeah, absolutely. Of course you married up. And when the kids do well, who does every father give the credit to? Mom. Right? Yeah. See what I'm saying to you? Those are the people who buy insurance. That's how powerful these ideas are. And there's a certain sweetness to this. 
So, I mean, saying to a guy, this is not about you needing care. Look at you. He can't see not being there. Life insurance is his being there. Think about that. So join us next time when we learn more about having the conversation with Harley Gordon. And again, we'd like to thank LTC Solutions for bringing you this episode. For more information, go to ltcsolutions.net. And to reach out to Harley or get a copy of his book, go to ieadvisors.net.